Shalom, everyone. This is Luke Tanner with Zion Hebraic Congregation. This week's Shabbat message is from 1 Peter chapter 3. I hope you enjoy it. You can check out our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. There you will find archived Shabbat messages as well as blog posts by my dad. You can subscribe to those in the subscribe bar. You can also subscribe to our messages through your favorite podcast provider. And while you're at our website, you can also check out the links to our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Okay, Shabbat Shalom. Go ahead and turn to First Peter. Yeah, I know, I know. First, <laughs> no, I'm gonna do them in chronological order. So First Peter chapter three is where we're gonna be. We're working our way through Peter here, and that's where we are today. It's not a long chapter, but really good. Really, really important, I think, um, because as we're gonna as we get into it and we and we we read it, <clears throat> as you'll see quite quickly, it's all about well, I mean it's about a bunch of things, but husbands and wives, and um, it's about uh, our relationship to Yeshua. It's about suffering, and I find it interesting that Paul couples. Um, well, it's interesting because in chapter end of chapter two, he's talking about Yeshua, and um, and suffering, and then he goes into husband and wives, and then he goes back into Yeshua and, and his suffering for us, uh, and so it's I don't know I find it really interesting how he kind of sticks that in the middle there, and I think it's vitally important because. Basically, the summation of everything I'm going to say today is, is life is suffering, you know. It's always a struggle. So you might as well struggle for the right things and suffer for the right purposes that actually have meaning and fulfillment instead of trying to fill up your life and fill up your, um, you know, instant gratification glass with whatever empty, meaningless things that you do. And also, I think this, the, the husband and wife relationship, why he hits on that is because, um, as we all know, when husband and wives are at each other's throats, you know, life is already hard. And then you throw that into it, and it really turns it into hell on earth. And so, um, I think that's why he hits on that, because it's, and as, as, uh, as it's being attacked in our culture today, the family unit is under attack, um, children, unborn children are under attack. I mean, the fabric of our society and why I believe Paul hits on this is, is under attack today. And so um, that's why I think he, he hits on this and he hits on the core um, character traits that we're supposed to have in relation to each other such that life in the midst of the chaos of the fallen world can have some coherency and consistency and 
energy and force for, for positive good um, in our own lives and in, and in our service to God, um, which is why Yeshua came. So all that's kind of intro to 1 Peter chapter 3. So we'll read the chapter um, and... Um, And then we'll, we'll kind of come back and, and, and talk about it. So, 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> Likewise, ye wives, be, be in subjection, I'm sorry, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation compelled with fear whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting of hair or of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden heart, I'm sorry, the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion of one another, Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contra contrise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and, and ensue it. For the eyes of Jehovah are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. That's a quote from Psalms. But the face of Jehovah is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? And if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify Jehovah God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that... Whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you, accuse your good conversation in Messiah. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ, I'm sorry, <laughs> Messiah has also once suffered for, for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison which sometimes were, sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Yeshua Messiah, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So there we go, chapter 3. So there's a lot in there. It's really good stuff. Um, I kind of broke down the chapter uh, one through uh, verses 1 through 6. He talks about wives. Verses 7 through 13, husbands. 14 through 17, suffering. And then 18 through 22, 
Yeshua suffered for us. So we're going to kind of go through all this. Um, um, but, yeah, we're going to kind of go through it. So in the first, uh, first verse here, it says, Likewise, ye wives, being in subject to, subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. So interesting to me that he first says, likewise. He first off compares the wives to Yeshua, which I thought was really interesting because, you know, uh, because really the truth is the wife has uh, in the relationship and in the home and in life, the more, what did Yeshua did? He did the most important things. He had the biggest task. He was the fabric that held everything together, right? He came in flesh, but lived in spirit. And so likewise is the wife in the home. She has, I think, the harder, more, um, I don't even know how to explain it. Uh, (laughs) Well, that too. But the wife has to kind of hold together the home. I don't know how else to compare it, but like uh, when... um, Basically, she's that which enables everything to function correctly. It's the harder job, but it's also the most meaningful work to do, though it seems like, and our our culture belittles what the wife, oh, you poor sucker of a wife staying home and taking care of children and keeping a home. No, it's the very fabric of the essence of a society and a culture that makes everything function as it needs to. It's the foundation of bedrock of which everything's built, built on. And when that doesn't happen, there's chaos in the home and there's problems and things don't function properly and it all breaks down. And I know this because my wife was gone for three months and I had to run everything and work. And guess what happened? Only the bare minimum to survive. You know, life quickly turned into a bachelor pad where, you know, we were fed, but it was like one meal for breakfast, one simple meal for lunch, and, you, and we, I rotated through three meals for dinner, you know, and they were simple. You know, the, the spirit of the home, right? Keep in your mind Yeshua, right? The spirit of the home and the foundation of the home that held everything together and gave it all meaning and life was gone. Because when you walk into uh, uh, a guy's bachelor pad, what's there? Just the bare facts. There's no life in there. There's no hominess. There's no warmth, you know, because the man's, that's, that's not the man's function. And that's okay. But the, God brought the man and woman together so that things would be complete and life would burst forth. And when those are fractured, the picture is skewed. And so Yeshua, is, as he in the world, taking on flesh and doing what he needed to do to redeem and save his people so that they could be joined back in together so we could have communion with God and our, because of sin. Likewise, the wife is that which mediates all of these things. And so it's, it's so important and it's such a a lie of our culture and of the devil to try to demonize that position. And we can't let that happen. And, and we have to reprogram ourselves as well because our flesh, um, and I'll speak for wives maybe a little bit, uh, you, you get on Facebook 
and you get on Instagram and you get on TV and there's that sponsored skier woman or that sponsored surfer woman or they're doing all these things and why can't I live that life and you you know here I'm just sitting in my home with my baby and this sucks and I'm not as fit as they are and whatever you know there's always um, coulda shoulda woulda feelings but those are all that's all the lie of our society that you get told. It's that instant gratification. It's that bite of the ice cream, and then you've got diarrhea later. You know what I mean? Sorry, that's kind of graphic. But, but that's what it is. It feels good in the moment, but it's empty. There's no lasting effects, and there's no meaning there. There's no meaning there. And so what did Yeshua do? He did, it was the harder path. It was the more difficult path, but it was the more meaningful path that he took and that our wives have to take. But husbands aren't off the hook. They have a whole lot to do to um, and, uh, uh, support that. When, husbands most often are, you know, just dragging the poor wife down and trying to, you know, do this. So, uh, so well, i got to get back to where I was here. Um, so that's kind of what's going on with the wives there. So I think it's really, really important that we, we keep that um, frame of mind about what the, what the role of the wife is within the household. So, and it says, and it immediately he talks about in verse 1, if any, it goes, wives be subject to, subject to your husbands. Then he says about, about the husbands, if any obey not the word, they also may without word be won by the conversation of the wives. So kind of this like for like, you know, if they're without the word, if they're unsaved or if they're not keeping the word of God, you're not going to win over the husband by beating him over the head with the word of God. It, you're more going to, you know, you got to take the back door because we're so stubborn and hard-headed and, uh, you know, we'll just put up the, the walls. See? Exactly. You got to kind of sneak in and make us feel like we thought of it. And so that way, without word, you can w- win over the husband by, uh, by the conversation of the wives. Um, while, two, verse 2, while they behold your chaste conversation compelled, coupled with fear. So there has to be a humility there. Most w- w- husbands, uh, what, you know, what do boys like to do? They like to fight. And so if you come and you attack the stronghold of the man, he's ready to go, you know, guns blazing, let's go. And so he's just going to defend the stronghold. That's what we're designed to do. And so he's saying here, you, they, you got you to flank him. You gotta, they got to behold your trace conversation coupled with fear, who's adorning. And then he talks about basically that which is most important and adorning and that which gives uh, the beauty of the woman, like in, in uh, Proverbs 31, is not your outward bling, you know, your car or whatever. It's, it's what, your character. It's what's inside that matters. The hidden man of the heart, which is incorruptible. Okay, let's go on to, um, uh, keep going to verse 5. For after this manner, then he gives the example of the holy women of old, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being subjected to their own husbands. We've given an example. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. So he's saying, you know, you've got examples, just like we men men have examples, women have examples also. Um, You know, as Sarah, uh, uh, you know, Abraham wouldn't have been Abraham without Sarah, obviously. And, you know, nothing would happen without Sarah. So, 
Um, likewise, husbands. So here we go, husbands. So, um, okay, husbands, verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, do well with them according to knowledge. I find that really interesting. And so this knowledge, do well to them, with them according to knowledge. Like, you know, what is this knowledge, Paul? Like, where do I, I think you get this knowledge from older men, maybe. Um, This is one possibility, who have hopefully had successful marriages and and can pass that on so that you, uh, because when you're young and dumb, you know, I, I am automatically thought, like, you know, you grow up, you see your dad. It's like, oh, your dad, you know, he's, he's a dad and he's a father. And I don't know what I was thinking. I just assumed, like, you got married and you had a kid and you instantly transformed into father and dad. Well, the truth is you're your same selfish, selfish wretch that you were before, you know. And it takes, in my case, 10 or 15, how long? To, to almost 14 years to slowly get your head screwed on straight. And there's still tons of work to do. Uh, so where was I going with all that? Verse seven, knowledge, you know, it takes time. That's why the wife, poor wife has to be patient. And, um, so that we can be that which enables the wife to do the work that they need to do instead of being a thorn, which most of the time we are in the home, um, making a a roadblock and and a speed bump for our poor wives to keep it all together. We need to be that which enables and supports the wife to do what she do. Because when we give the wife the environment that she needs to succeed, she will respond. Because it's the nature of the woman to respond. It's the nature of the man to initiate. Our problem, men's problem, and it goes all the way back into the garden, is we do not, we tend to uh, slack off and us- or usurp our duties. We don't do what we are supposed to do. Thereby, chaos ensues. And when chaos ensues, the wife feels like she needs to respond to that chaos because that's her nature, but that's not what she's supposed to be doing. And so then it just all compounds. She gets bitter at him and he gets bitter back at her because why are you getting angry at me? And it just turns in this spiral effect, right? So if men would do what we need to do, be proactive, get our own junk together so that then we can create an environment in which our wife can flourish, things will flow and she'll respond to a good environment. Does that make sense? Yeah, Joshua, what do you think? Take ownership. Yeah, take ownership. You gotta engage. Have you guys seen that movie? Um, the Incredibles. They're having dinner. If you haven't seen it, you need to watch it. They're having dinner and the kids are just being insane and the dad's doing something. I don't know if he's... He's just sitting there. He's spaced out. It's the end of a day. He's tired. He's worked. And, he, and, the, and then the, the, everything's going to hell in a handbasket. And the mom says, Bob, it's time to engage. So then what does he do? He responds improperly. He comes in, he tears everything up. He picks everything up and just creates more chaos. And he's like, is this as you are you want me to do? You know, that's exactly what happens most of the time. But it's what's not supposed to happen. The husband needs to come home. And because this needs to bleed into practical day-to-day life, whether you work from home or you come home, you need to come home and it's hard work, but work doesn't end when you leave work. If you know what I mean, your mind can't just turn off like we tend to. Don't sit down and have a beer, you know, come home and engage. And so 
I know for me, it feels like, ah, I got to keep working, basically. I have to stay in mental work mode, but, but shifted to a different task, which we don't do well. And so, but that's what we have to do because poor mom's been home dealing with little hellions for all day. And so there needs to be that support so that things can flow properly. I can't speak to what happens when you're older yet because I'm not there, but I'm sure it's probably all the same. Just slightly different packaging. <laughs> all right, where am I? Uh, enable the wife to do her work. So don't come home and be like, that's what we're eating? That's not gonna help anything, <laughs> you know? Uh, or if she hasn't made dinner yet, don't come home and be like, uh, yeah. I'm hungry, you know? Maybe call on the head of time, and if, like, she's having a real bad day, uh, anyways, you know, just be proactive and don't be a retard. You know, it's not that hard. I don't know. I'm speaking to myself as much as anybody. Okay. So, now, I love what he gets into here, verse 7. Uh, uh, dwell with them according to knowledge. So that's what we've been talking about. Giving honor unto the wife. To give honor unto something means it puts it in the highest esteem when you honor something. It lifts it up as the most important element. And you do, you, you bend and you mold your life and your character and your actions around that such that you give unto that person or that position respect and a, an, an actions and an interaction with such that um, again, it can function as it's supposed to. Think about anybody in, in, in a position of whatever, the president or whoever you want to pick out. You're going to honor them by acting as you should to them and in relation to them because their position deserves it. Otherwise, you tear down the structure and the fabric of that which the home, the society is built upon. And again, chaos starts to ensue. So... It's so important to do that. You need to preserve, especially in public, especially in public, with, with individuals and certainly husband and wife relationships, don't ever criticize or tear down your spouse in public. It's one of the worst things you, you can ever do. I'll leave that at that. Okay, so seven. Giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel. People get all bent out of shape about that, but God created each of us for, for, for a purpose. And so God has designed the man to be that which can protect and um, preserve the wife again so that she can do as she needs to do uh, in the home. As being heirs together of the grace of life. So these, these, these are heirs being those which inherit the grace of life. You know, it has to be, you have to be one unit to be able to inherit something such as this. And I love this. At the end of this, he says, again, talking about the, to the husbands, that your prayers be not hindered. So that's pretty potent stuff. You know, you're not honoring your wife. You're not dwelling with her according to knowledge. God may not be listening to your prayers. I mean, that's, you know... I don't know. I don't hear that talked about very much. <laughs> so you're being a jerk of a husband? God doesn't have time for you because he's given you this, this individual to protect and to watch over, and you're not doing that most important job that you should be doing to uplift and maintain 
uh, the foundational unit which he has created. Um, you know, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal to him. That your prayers not be hindered. Eight, finally, be ye all one mind, having compassion of one another. As brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not running evil for evil. So you got to have one mind, compassionate one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, and that ye should inherit a blessing. <clears throat> for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. So you have these, these actions that are supposed to be happening. You know, it starts in the mind and then it, turn, it goes from how you think to how you act. You know, it's not tit for tat. You know, you, that's one thing uh, with, with whether it's, you know, in friends or in the congregation or in the world or uh, especially husband and husband, you can't get into this tit for tat back and forth. You know, you need to... Um, Lead according to knowledge. Let him eschew evil. Still talking about the husband here. And do good. Seek peace. And ensue it. You know. Which, you know, these ten things tend to go against our uh, immediate nature. You know, again, boys, it's like something comes at you. What do you want to do? You're going to go after it. And you're going to get it. You know, but we're, you can't, we can't do that with our, with our wives in the home. 12, for the eyes of Yehovah are over the righteous. It's interesting when you watch, if you follow that phrase and kind of that, that what, what God watches, the eyes of Yehovah are over the righteous. And here, his ears, again, uh, like in verse 7, here we have in chapter, or verse 12, his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of Yehovah is against them that do evil. You know, serious, serious stuff going on here. So he talks about prayer again. So he has all of these things from uh, 8 until 12. So this is all under husband. So now moving into uh, 13. Actually, we'll finish with 13. And who is he that will harm you if you follow of that which is good? 14. So now we're going to get into suffering. Life is suffering no matter the path you take. So it may as well be the one of meaning. Uh, which is really important. And like I said, you know, life is already tough enough. Don't make it a living hell by having bad husband and wife relationship because that's exactly what happens real fast. You know, it's supposed to be this cocoon of life and honor and beauty, uh, but it can be turned into a living hell really quickly. <laughs> okay, uh, where are we? 14. But, and if you suffer for righteous sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify Jehovah God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that uh, asketh you, a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. So, you know, he's saying, uh, you know, basically, if you're going to suffer, you might as well suffer for righteousness' sake. Because when you're suffering for the good cause and for the right cause, you don't have to be afraid of the outcome. You know, it's kind of like when you're doing the right thing, there's no fear of getting caught or getting in trouble because you're doing the right thing. Even if whatever you're doing may look a little weird. 
you know you're doing what's right. And so when you have a clean conscience, it's like, what am I? I don't have to worry about that. It's the same idea. You know, we don't have to worry about the terror of whatever and trouble that may come at us. But sanctify Yehovah God in your hearts. I find that phrase really interesting because, you know, to sanctify or make something holy, but sanctify Yehovah God in your hearts, that place within you from which emanates, you know, the foundation of all of your actions, basically. You know, that needs to be set apart. We have to set apart God in our hearts because we are a temple of the living God. And, um, you know, if we're not living correctly, we're not sanctifying God in our hearts. And then he's not going to hear our prayers, which is the whole point of the temple, right? Is to have communication and interaction with God. So you can start to see how all these things are connected. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a holistic mindset. You know, we, we tend to just break everything apart, but it's not so. And be ready to give an answer to every man that has asked you a reason for the hope that's within you, meekness and fear. So again, when we're doing what we're supposed to and we're not afraid and we're not have terror and we have God sanctified in our hearts, I think we'll be able to easily answer. But when those things are jumbled up or not right, you know, we might have a trouble giving an answer. 16, having a good conscience that whereas you, they speak evil of you as evildoers, you may, uh, they may be ashamed, ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Messiah. So you're having a good conscience. And even if people speak evil of you, they'll be ashamed. 17, for it's better, uh, for it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And then moving into 18, Yeshua suffered for us. So we kind of have, again, this, like he's, in chapter 2, he's talking about suffering. Then he gets into husbands and wives, the foundation of, of what life and a family is. And then into Yeshua, you know, us suffering and Yeshua suffering for us. So verse uh, 18. For Messiah also hath once suffered for sins, the just being the unjust. Because that's, let me back up a little bit. The whole reason we're suffering is because of sin. is because of what we did, what we didn't do, what Adam didn't do. He was supposed to stomp on the snake and throw it out of the garden. He didn't. He let it deceive his wife. So it was his sin and Eve's folly. And so, for Christ also has suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh by the quickened, uh, but quickened by the Spirit. So, you know, again, because of that separation that has happened, because of sin that always pulls things apart, God, to create unity, has to come and suffer and take on that penalty for sin so that we can be reunited into him. It's just like a marriage. 19, by which he also went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water, the like figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us. And then he clarifies that statement, because he doesn't want people to think, oh, you get saved by baptism. And he says, not by the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Meaning, that which is in your heart and your mind, 
you can do everything physically externally. You can get baptized. You could go to the temple. You could do all these things and still not have a heart that was changed unto God, still not be living and acting in faith. You'd be unsaved. You would not be a child of God because he has not put his seed, his spirit, his word within you. So, uh, but answereth of a good conscience work out by the resurrection. So let me read 21 again. The like figure whereunto even baptism does now also save us. Not the putting away of filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience work God by the resurrection of Yeshua Messiah. So as he died we, and rose again, we have life with him <clears throat> who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject into, unto him. So, summary. Husbands and wives need each other because, it's, because life is full of suffering and hard enough. So choose to suffer for that which is meaningful, serving God together. And we can have hope because our Messiah suffered for our sins to redeem us from death. You know, because it's interesting because without, uh, without any suffering, it makes me think of Star Trek episodes, probably because I watched so many of them growing up. But you know how, like, um, they would, I can't remember the specific episode, but they would come in contact with uh, these, these people or these races or whatever where everything was perfect. We all get along. There's no... Uh, yeah, it's, 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 all, it's all like make-believe and artificial. What is it devoid of? Meaning. Because when all your food's provided because it's all perfect, we don't have any hierarchy because we're all just one. We don't need to get married. Blah, 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 blah. There's no meaning there. There's no struggle, right? There's no suffering. And when you don't have that, there's no meaning. That's why God says, well, you might as well suffer for the right things, so you have meaning for the right things that are lasting. Likewise, and this gets into a weird thought process, and I don't know where or how to take it to follow that rabbit hole, but it's almost as though God needed something to, you know, and even the rabbis kind of philosophize about this, like, is God God without mankind? Because if there's no no thing to honor him, nothing to suffer for. I don't know. It gets into this gray area world of, of uh, and probably more than we can even obviously wrap our minds around. But the point being, you know, we have meaning in this life based on how we act to those things that are around us. And he, uh, he suffered for us so that we can, you know, live in him a complete life. So anyways, and that's not coming out clearly, but that's okay. <laughs> My point being, if life is suffering, you're going to suffer. You might as well suffer for the right things, and you might as well have a good relationship in your marriage through it all because it's, it's a struggle. It's a struggle no matter what. And, um, you know, if we heed up, uh, Peter's advice here, he, that's why he makes, I mean, he, he spends a whole chapter. There's only four chapters in this book, and he spends a whole chapter, practically, about this. So obviously he realizes it's a, uh, an important point. Uh, we have a question from the crowd. I'll refilter. The point was really great about the suffering part is 
we don't really, we really appreciate the sun because we have so little of it right. on the other end. So right. the sun helps us to appreciate the blessing. Because mm -hmm. if you live in Arizona where there's sun all the time, right. it's easy to grow accustomed. Yeah, the point, be, yeah, the, the comment was basically if you don't have the suffering, it gives nothing to gauge the blessing off of. Living in New England, you don't really, versus living in Arizona, we value the sun so much and the sunny days because we have so many rainy, cloudy, snowy days. Whereas in Arizona, you value the rainy days because you have so much sunny days. And so you, you can't enjoy one without the other. It's this, for whatever reason, the way God made things to be. Uh, and so because of sin, he had to, to, to save us uh, from our own sin. He had to come and suffer. I don't know. There's just, this, this is a big concept to work through, and, and it's strung all through the scriptures. But it's one that we need to keep in our mind, and I think will give some clarity to how we live and function and some reasons behind it. That way, like he says, we can give an answer for those things that we do, why we do what we do, why we care about what we care about. Uh, so anyway, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word and this Shabbat, this time and place to be together. I pray that you would just um, continue to teach us throughout the week, that we would remain vigilant in all the things that we need to do and how we live, and that we would stay active and engaged, uh, that we would fulfill our roles, that we would understand that we are building the kingdom through our obedience to you and whatever role and position and place in life you've placed us in. Um, I do ask, though, that you would bring the redemption, that you would gather us back into your land, and that you would sit on the throne quickly and soon. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does Face on the mount of your grace and your